Hi, everyone. This is Shane from the BC Podcast. I am here with Pete Peterson, Superintendent of Kiona Benton School District. I got Superintendent right this time. It's only taken me, what, two years? Uh, Going to ask a few questions that came up during the last school board meeting. And how you doing there, uh, Mr. Peterson or Pete? You want to go with Pete today? Yeah, Pete's fine. All right. No, doing, we're doing well. We're doing well. I think we see the light at the end of the tunnel. So at least we're beginning to see the light. That's nice. Very nice. Um, all right. Well, the first thing that came up is you had some individuals doing a uh, public comments concerning the sports funding and wanted to get a little more about that because it seemed like it came out of nowhere to the public, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Um so where this stems from is there, there are some internal conversations with our coaches about um, whether or not they are going to choose to, um, to, to reduce their salaries of their own volition in order to, to create additional funding for sports and activities. Um, and, and I think that probably the reason that it came out at this point was simply because that conversation is now is now working its way through their their own um their their own union protocols okay. and just wanting to make sure that uh that the district has been been thorough with with taking advantage of whatever funds were left over whatever funds um, we did we did pay out to coaches last spring right at the beginning of the pandemic. So I think more than anything, they're simply looking for an accounting of that. And it's something that we we've already talked to some folks about. We've talked to to the board. We've talked to um, to the coaches group, uh, the sports committee. Uh, Mr. Henry made a report out on that. But it was also fairly generic in, in terms of, of actual dollars. You know, we spent on this, we spent on that. And I think what they're looking for is just a higher level of transparency. And, and heck, that's, that's easy to do. And it's certainly, certainly not, any, not any big task for us. Um, and I, I don't blame anybody for wanting to know what happened with funds that were collected via levy uh, that weren't utilized for things we planned on utilizing. Uh, when did the when does the levy funds run out? Being that so we've had that uh, double fail, uh, the the county stopped collecting funds for the district as of December thirty first of twenty twenty. So right now um, we are not seeing any any levy income whatsoever. Okay, so this will affect twenty two twenty three or twenty one twenty two year. Well, it, yeah, it'll affect the 21-22 year, um, this current, this, well, and now we're talking calendar years, because okay. one, of the, one of the differences is the, that our levy income is based off a calendar year, while, of course, we budget for a school year, so. Um, so school year. School year, it will impact this current school year, because uh, we, we've only collected half of the half of the levy funds with the, and so we stopped on December 31st, the county will send us no more money. None will be collected from local taxpayers um, until such time that, that we're successful in, in, in getting another levy passed, quite frankly. Well, that stinks. So we're already 
seeing the repercussions of a failed levy. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, there, it's no secret because I, I briefed the board in public session. Um, you know, the district took, took some, took some leeway as far as not replacing staff um, who chose to retire or resign from the district. Um, I think we had um, eight classified positions, so parapro secretaries, those types of positions that we simply didn't rehire. Um, we had a teaching position, which was a retirement that we didn't rehire for. Um, we also um, uh, did a reduction in force. We did a RIF. Um, so we reduced at the elementary level, we reduced a counselor. So this school year, there's no counselor at the elementary level. Uh, also at the elementary level, we reassigned an administrator. So um, one administrator went back into the classroom. Um, and, and so that those all have various repercussions down the road, but we were able to cut roughly $1.3 million with those personnel savings um, in preparation for creating a budget that we would try and, and not impact student services at least as much as possible. Um, this money's already going to start affecting uh, the music program. I, right now, I'm assuming we have no music program. Uh, so is that going to be hit next year when people start coming back or even this sem coming semester? Well, we're kind of in a we're kind of in a weird situation with COVID, of course, because um, we can't offer our music courses right now. Um, they are one of the the few very specific limitations that were put into place through the governor's office and oh, the yeah. Department of Health. Um, I think I think many of our our viewers are probably familiar with the the super spreader event that happened as a result of a a choir up in Mount Vernon. Right. Um, and this was towards the beginning of the pandemic and something to the effect of 110 folks got together for, a, for a, uh, church choir. And I want to say over a hundred ended up testing positive and there were a couple deaths out of that event. So based on that, um, choirs and music groups were, were very limited completely. So, you know, what we've done is we've eliminated, um, music classes, uh, except for on, some online at the secondary level. But once we get back into person, uh, we're still not going to be able to have choir. We're still not going to have be able to have a full band um, or performances around that. So yeah, it's it's ironic that yes, while we fund those programs completely through levy funding, um, we haven't seen necessarily. Uh, the impact because they haven't been allowed under COVID rules. Joys. I'll yeah, be, exactly. I'll be glad when this COVID thing is all over. Yes, very much so. Uh, moving on from there into the next thing that came up. Uh, it sounds like you have a better uh, perspective on what's going to be happening with the matrix, but during the board meeting, you kind of had a sound of a reservation or some concern about how the new matrix is going to play for the uh, school district. Can you tell me a little about what your concern was then and how it's changed? 
Well, I guess the, the biggest concerns I have is that we're, we're grouped as a region into what, what the Department of Health is calling the South Central Washington area. So you've got Walla Walla County, Franklin County, Benton County, Yakima County, and Kittitas County that are all grouped together. Um, and what that means is it's a, we're no longer simply dependent on the metrics for the Benton County area as being a decision-making influence. We're dependent on Yakima and, and Walla Walla just as much as we are on Pasco or Connell, for instance, um, when you put us all in the mix. And I guess my concern is just, I think that folks folks in Benton County have done a remarkable job and made real efforts to stem the tide. And as with anything, when it's outside of your control, there's always some, there's always a little bit of reservation. Um, you know, right now, this region that we're talking about has the highest rates uh, in those metrics of any in the state. So um, either by looking at hospitalization, you look at ICU, usage, you look at positive case uh, decrease, hopefully, um, and overall case count in all four of those areas, our region is is very high. So yeah. um, I guess I guess what I'm getting at is whenever we're talking about uh, counting numbers outside of the county and having that influence what happens in our county, it's a little disheartening. I, I, I'll probably get over it, obviously, don't have any control over it. But I would say that the Benton County um, elected officials have, have, along with many counties in the state, made a plea to the governor's office to reconsider that regionalization, um, given the fact that if you look on the Benton Franklin County Department of Health website, uh, the Benton County's metrics are much better than Franklin County's across the river. Right. Um, so having this all lumped together, in some cases, it may be good because Kittitas County, for instance, has a much lower rate than we do, uh, but they've also got such a small population that it's not gonna offset um, a bigger county like Walla Walla, a bigger county like Franklin or Yakima for that matter, uh, that will impact the regional the regional metrics. So that's that's my only pause. I, I would call it more of a pause in, in uh, my considerations than actual real concern. Um. Going out in a little bit of a deep dive, and I understand this may be out of your particular uh, purview. That's never stopped you before. <laughs> well, um, the county on Tuesday had, were looking at doing a law or passing something where they'd say, we're going to just take control of our own destiny as far as reopening and things. Will that have any effect on the school district? Um, it's good to, it, I've, I've heard about that effort. Um, and I really, I haven't dived into it. Um, my, my gut feeling is that the governor's emergency powers, um, probably will, will have a hindrance on that, that impact and that effort, um, more power to them if they're able to do it or, at least to, to be able to see if we can. Um, I, I certainly I certainly can understand it because like I said, there are many counties, especially in Eastern Washington and really push to return to the county metrics. If you look at 
Um, some of our more rural areas, you look at a, a community like Pomeroy, for instance, which, which is in a county, and the name escapes me off the top of my head, but um, you know, they've been much higher in a much higher phase than some of the surrounding counties simply because of their population. They've done right. things right. And now they've been thrown back into the mix. And uh, it doesn't sit well, sit well with people who've, by all, by all measurements, have done what they needed to do and had very good control on, on coronavirus. So I think that's part of the, the overall frustration is just that when it was at the county level, there were, there were many counties who, who put things into place and, and really tried hard at the county level to get those numbers lower. Many were successful, and that's kind of been, you know, you've thrown the baby out with the bathwater on that, those efforts. Right. Well, that makes sense. Um, I know that there's some RCWs that kind of override uh, executive and legislative side when, the, when there are pandemics. So, and the county health officials may have ultimate decision on that. Uh, I don't remember the exact RCW, but I was just curious as far as the city goes or the district goes. Yeah, and, and the last thing I would say about the metrics is one of those one of those metrics that I know has caused a bit of consternation, not necessarily with us as a school district, but with departments of health around the state. Um, our measurements around ICU and um, bed availability. And I'll, I'll again use a, a rural area as, a, as, a, uh, as an example of this. While we're fortunate in our area, we have many large hospitals. Um, when you take a look at a, a community like Dayton that does have a local hospital, however, uh, they are very limited in their availability of ICU beds. I, I want to yep, say that right. they only have three or four staffed ICU beds. So uh, when we talk about hospitalization rate, if those beds are full for whatever reason, a COVID patient may be admitted to the emergency room in some of these rural areas when they would have been put into an ICU bed if they had been in a larger area. And so making sure that those metrics are reflected across the state evenly, I think is some, some of the concern the Department of Health has. Now, I know that that they're working on it. And I fully expect to hear tomorrow when I'm on my weekly meeting with the Benton Franklin Department of Health that they'll have some answers for that. But um, again, uh, we want to compare apples to apples. You right. can't uh, you can't across the board say say we're going to measure X, Y, or Z when X, Y, or Z isn't the same from place to place. True, very true. And I and I saw out there where they talked about having. ICU beds versus staffed RC, uh, ICU beds, and that can have a difference effect and whether or not a hospital can call them in. Not in your particular school district uh, side, but uh, that is out there as a discussion as well. So, uh, all right. Well, and I have no problem in saying that uh, so many of the things that I've been dealing with in the past 10 months, <laughs> they weren't a part of any superintendent preparation program or, <laughs> or anything like that. What, but, you weren't uh, trained for a pandemic? <laughs> yeah, I, I might have missed that class. I'm not sure. Um, but at the same time, we do what we have to do. I mean, our principals certainly uh, are in the same boat. You know, nowhere in learning how to, to be a principal or 
Training for a teacher, for that matter, did anybody learn about um, transmission rates and best practices and protocols in that area? So we've had to become experts very quickly, and, and that is what it is. Moving into that, it's a great segue. Thank you very much. Um, we've had this uh, first semester of the twenty one or 2021 school year. Um, how do you feel this is this first semester went? You know, I honestly think it went as well as we could have hoped for the, the situation at hand. Um, you know, we had been making plans last summer as most school districts around to kind of return to a hybrid model uh, in August. And when it became apparent that, that we weren't uh, going to be able to do that, um, we had some contingencies in place. Um, you know, we had uh, last spring uh, purchased a number of laptop computers and we purchased more in early August. Um, you know, we had no, we had no capacity to become a one-to-one -one district at this time a year ago, quite frankly. And it forced one to us one, to, meaning one computer uh, one for one, one computers, meaning, you know, uh, every kid or at least every family has a computer from the district at home. And um, it very quickly forced us to to come to come up to speed with that. And, and although we are not still one to one, meaning a kid doesn't walk into our schools and get a every kid doesn't walk into our school and get a computer. You know, we've been we've been very cognizant of the fact that all of our high school kids needed to have a computer. Um, given that they're on a credit system and a, and a graduation was depending on it. And then from there, we were able to distribute, you know, close to a thousand computers, um, including some that, that we had that were desktop computers that were scheduled for surplus. Um, and we, we revamped those and worked them up to be able to handle at least the internet um, and, and issued some of those. So, um, one of the good things that the governor, quite frankly, has done is he released um, some of the CARES Act that was under his discretion uh, to schools to be able to order computers. Um, this was done uh, late in November, early December. So, you know, we have another 150 uh, new laptops that are on the way as a result of that. Good. So, um, you know, it, it's been a uh, uh, a very trying time. There's no doubt about it, but it's also quite frankly, it's faced, it, it's forced our district to make some decisions and, and move into areas that quite frankly, we wouldn't have gotten to very quickly without a situation like this. And I think that, that our, our computers and, and reliance on the internet and things like that were one of those areas. Um, has the state talked about any of the upcoming funds from the second stimulus package that just came out? Yeah, I think as, as many, many, if not most of our viewers know, because it's been in the papers, uh, the legislature just reconvened in, in, on Monday, and they're doing a primarily uh, online experience, the same that our schools have done. Um, and so we know the amount that the the state has available to schools based on the federal government's last um, ESSER fund release. Um, I think one of the things that, that 
we're paying especially close attention to is the fact that while those funds are released to the state, it is not as simple as, as the state just willy-nilly turning around and giving that money to OSPI to disperse to schools. Right. No, that um, makes sense. I think, I think everyone is well aware that the, the state as a whole, while we're certainly not in as poor of an economic, economic situation as we were last March and April with projections of a close to $9 billion deficit, um, you know, those numbers have shrunk as the economy has, has taken off, um, primarily through uh, real estate and, and the uh, refinancing of homes and businesses. So that's been a plus. Um, but the legislature also sees, uh, you know, an amount of money that's coming to the state. Um, and quite frankly, they're going to make a determination whether they're going to use some of those funds to offset cuts to K-12 education. Oh yeah. Um, okay. And then release the rest um, as the federal government uh, determined that they needed to be used for, or whether they're going to pass them through completely, which would then result in probably a higher level of cut um, from the state itself. Uh, the state was not counting on on federal another federal stimulus. So the state had planned to release some of its own funds to school districts to get us through this phase. Um, so those federal dollars coming in, I think they see that as, as being the, the money that the schools are gonna get for some of that, some of that needed, um, some of the needed support in the short term, but I think they're gonna reduce funding at, a, at an overall level oh. um, across the state. That'll be painful. Yeah, it really will. Um, it really will. And you you tack that on to um, the the potential for not collecting any levy dollars for you know what we what we hope is not going to be a long term impact. Um, but the overall cuts across the state, coupled with that, along with quite frankly, what is a really really ominous, um, an ominous bill that's going to come due at the, in the fall of next year, unless the legislature does something about the transportation funding formulas. Oh yeah. You've talked about that in uh, the past. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a big deal to the district to the tune of $345,000. And if, if people aren't aware of what I'm talking about, it's, you know, the, the state has, and this goes for all 295 school districts in the state. It's got a formula that is uh, in law that can't simply be altered by either the governor or um, OSPI, but the, the funding that school districts get for transportation is based on ridership. So that means the same way that a school is funded for its enrollment, the number of kids that, that pass through its doors every day, buses are, are funded on their riders. So two times a year uh, per statute, there's, a, there's an annual count. And for an entire month, we count how many kids were on our buses and we turn that into the state and that's how they determine what our funding is. Well, the two times that uh, they do this are March and October. <laughs> 
And those, those dates can't be altered uh, without movement from the legislature. And what that for all intents and purposes means is that every school across the state for the most part is going to see those funds reduced if not eliminated completely because uh, you know after the the 17th of March we weren't running buses right and up until in October we didn't run any buses until October 19th and that was simply for the elementary school so um, right now we're projecting about $345,000 that we will not be funded for in transportation during the 21-22 school year. And I'm going to assume That's... a district like this, we're heavily relying on transportation because we're not so tight and compact and we don't have the public transit to uh, back us up. Uh, exactly. Um, this will hit our smaller districts and our more rural districts, especially hard. Um you have you have schools, um, and I want to say a school district like Ritzville, for instance. Patterson. Um, yeah, Patterson, North Franklin, school districts that are huge geographically for the size of, of school and the number of kids that they serve, and they rely on that that funding to pay for their buses. You know, three hundred forty-five thousand dollars, regardless of good times or bad. That's a that's a good chunk of change for us to be looking and not having. And remember, um, busing isn't optional. Um, we will be paying for those buses come one way or another. So, um, you know, when we talk about where funds get moved from, in and out of, we're not doing this, so we're doing that. You know, regardless of anything else, sports or no sports, computers or no computers, we're going to be looking at a hit of $345,000 for transportation that we're going to be responsible for covering one way or another. Ouch, 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 ouch. You know, I think, I think our, biggest, our biggest concern up to this point has been trying to tighten our belts without impacting student services and programs. And quite frankly, uh, looking down the road, that's not going to be possible uh, moving ahead without without some help, both from uh, the state level and, and hopefully uh, from our voters and their understanding of our predicament at the time and place we choose to run a levy again. Okay. Yeah. We're seeing all the immediate, but long-term is going to really, really stink without people uh, doing the next step of recovering. So, Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving back a little bit to the, uh, how the first half of this year's gone. Yeah, we, absolutely. We don't want to see another pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. If we look at history, we're probably going to not see one in our lifetime. However, I have seen where some of the uh-huh. Oregon <laughs> some of the Oregon districts have had to shut down for just flu season. Is there anything you've learned from this in case we ever had to shut down for a flu season? Yeah, I think that's a very good question, Um, especially considered while I see it said earlier, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, You know, there's always going to be chances for, for regression, quite frankly. And I think as we, as we're making plans to bring, secondary school students back and we're starting those 
in earnest to make sure that that now that the Department of Health locally has has released some guidelines, they did that late, late last night, uh, that we're going to start making close plans to to return to an in-person hybrid, much like the elementary has done. Uh, nice. <laughs> it will be exceptionally nice. Um, at the same time, though, we need to be ready, quite frankly, with a 24-hour turn turnaround to be able to flip the switch and go back to online if uh, a worst-case scenario occurs. So I, I think that um, as a state, as, a, as an educational community and, community and society in general, I think there was a there was guidance at the very beginning of all this that you know what we're going to shut down for six weeks we're going to shut down for eight weeks we're going to shut down for twelve weeks and then we're going to come back from this and um, we tended to make those plans along with what we were being told and I, I think right now I'm I'm putting out a message that while while yes we're making plans to come back. Everybody needs to have a plan to go back online at the at the flip of a switch if something unforeseen happens. Um, you know, we're still hearing about the the new COVID strain that's appeared right. starting in Great Britain and now has moved to the United States. Um, we're still we're still planning for for things that we we can't foresee that we never foresaw in the first place, and now it's it's. Kind of one of those situations where we hope for the best, but we're going to plan for the worst. Um, you know, we're we're what even once we come back to school in a hybrid model, um, there will be times when we're going to have to ask for some of our computers back, but not not because we need them back to make things um, easier on us. We're going to take them back so we can then update any software and issue them right back to students. Right. Um, with the understanding if things do go south that they have a, a fully functional system they can they can put back into place i was just about to ask so is the computers that are being purchased the ones that we'll need beyond uh cares act and things like that would that also come out of levy funds and not state funds yeah it really it does um we get about about and, and I'm doing this from memory now without the slide in front of me, but I want to say about 12% of our levy is used for uh, internet technology, IT, um, computers, and things of that nature. So um, like I said earlier, this kind of gave us a shot in the arm to be able to do some things in a quicker way because we were able to use some of our, some of our other funding to, to, to get those computers ordered early um but you know the cares act i i feel very confident i was very confident in saying we weren't going to see another one and i'm even more confident in saying now that we we see a second one we aren't going to see a third um <laughs> yeah so quite frankly the the computers that that we purchased with the governor's release of dollars um, are probably going to be it for for large computer purchases until such time that we're able to to utilize some some levy dollars to do that. I think we're in a much better position than we were a year ago at this time. Um, and one of the things I really believe is, you know, schools were making the move to a one-to-one -one device option before the pandemic. Right. Um, there are definitely ways that teachers can utilize those in the classroom. Um, and kids can utilize them at home 
without any uh, on room uh, online learning on a full Zoom or Teams right. basis. So they're going to continue to be a part of our learning, regardless pandemic or not. Um, but it, it's been a good influx for us at a time we needed it. But moving forward, um, we're going to have to we're going to have to make some some pretty big decisions and prioritize some programming, quite frankly, until we until we're able to to uh, move forward with a successful levy again. A lot of things are attached to that next uh, levy. I, I'm hoping that'll uh, pass. I know that in the past I've been one of those less taxes is better, but having seen up close and personal of how the levy works, I'm, I've been flipped to the other side now. I'm definitely, okay, we got to do this. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think there's, they're certainly not around here <laughs> and I'm certainly not one of them. I don't, I don't uh, relish the idea of writing a check to uh, certainly the state government for any stretch. Um, I think the, the, the thing that people are gonna see is you know, their, their state taxes, um, their property taxes and things like that, that the school district doesn't have a say in, those are gonna remain very much the same. But when you come to that local levy uh, I, line item, you're gonna see that that is the one that's decreased. So. Um, the idea that anyone is is going to get relief from either the state or the federal level on their taxes, they aren't going to see it because of a, a levy option. Right. Um, the levy, quite frankly, is is one of the few, um, and I say this for any levy, whether you're talking about us, whether you're talking about a fire district or anything like that, irrigation district, those dollars are stay, staying local and the, the folks have absolute control over them. So that's... Those are, are realistically, those are the good taxes that I don't mind paying because I know where the money's going and I can see the results from it um, by walking down the street. Excellent. Um, just as a parting comment, I have been able to talk to a few teachers and talk to a few parents and I've been, it's really hearing the positive even though we're in a horrible situation, the positive of it, I know one teacher talked about having uh, stretched uh, their understanding of how to educate and how to move around it and improve their ability to interact. Uh, I know that I believe it was uh, Mr. Feck, probably saying his wrong name wrong, but... Mr. Feck? Yeah, him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talking about how the teachers have really gone out and been willing to stay, do what they needed to do. Um, I've really appreciated that. And a lot of, I know a lot of the parents have, so I, I appreciate what the district's been doing to get through this. And I appreciate your time here. You got any, uh, parting thoughts for us? No, um, I, I, I appreciate the people in community being willing to bend with us as we've had to bend. Uh, but I am in agreement with Mr. Mr. Feth. I think that you know, given the conditions we've done as, as good a job as possible, it's never going to be perfect. And for some, it wasn't even, it wasn't even close to perfect. Um, but compared to where we were a year ago and the ability to, to, to attempt to deliver education, I think, I think we, I think we made it through as well as, as anyone around. In fact, many of the problems that I've heard from even larger districts that surround us, um, our folks figured out pretty quickly. And I really think that um, 
our, our focus on trying to develop personal relationships with kids and families has been at the been at the center of that. And I've reminded our teaching staff and our principals many times, um, if you can develop a positive personal relationship with our, with our parents, our kids, that's gonna carry you a lot farther in the long run than uh, the results on any individual academic test. Uh, we need to be sure that our, our, our folks trust us and trust that we're gonna make decisions with everybody in mind, everybody in our community and have their best interests at heart. All right. Well, again, thank you for your time. And uh, we'll probably talk again next month because I know you're going to be talking more about sports and the levy at the, is it either, it's either the next school board meeting or the first in February. I can't remember, but we'll be sure to get back with you and ask more questions as those come up. Yep, absolutely. I appreciate the time, Shane. This has been a production of the BC Podcast, a project of Blind Hatter Studio and host Shane Yoakum. All rights reserved. Logo by Wendy Welch. Theme song by Vaughn Chenson. Comments and or opinions may not represent the views of BC Podcast, Shane Yoakum, or Blind Hatter Studio. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so by emailing Shane at tbhstudio.com or on Facebook at the Blind Hatter Studio page.